You're listening to a sermon series by Grace City Church, a church plant in Green Square in Sydney. For more information about us, visit gracecity.com.au. Well, good day there. It's great to be with you. Uh, my name is Tim. Why don't you join me? We're going to pray, ask God for his help as we uh, dig into today's passage. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is how you speak to us. Uh, Thank you for this remarkable teaching from your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we study it now, would you help us to see what it means at the incredibly high bar that Jesus calls us to? Would you help us to know what it looks like to live this out? And perhaps most importantly, uh, would you... Uh, empower us by your spirit through our relationship with you to live it out in response to the love you've shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, do to others what you would have them do to you, or perhaps do unto others as you would have them uh, do unto you. Those words have been called the golden rule since at least the 16th century, and arguably they are probably the most famous words that Jesus ever uttered. If you go outside, you stop someone on the street and you say, hey, tell me something that Jesus said. If they can tell you anything, chances are it will be these words. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The golden rule. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 31. Now, it, it is sometimes argued that the golden rule is really just the foundation of all religions. And so what Jesus says here in this passage is not particularly unique. Uh, now, there, there's maybe something to that, which I'll explain in a moment, but it's kind of, at best, it's maybe a quarter right. I say that because uh, while it's true that people like, and you may know none of these names, but Rabbi Hillel, Isocrates, Homer, and Herodotus, they all said something similar. But the emphasis for them was on the negative. That is, they tended to stress, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you, right? It stresses a negative. Um, Now, that is a great start, but what Jesus says is actually quite different. Uh, Jesus' version of the golden rule is proactive. He says, uh, go out of your way to love others and to treat them how you want to be treated, which is why I think so many of us like the rule. In fact, I suspect there's plenty of people in our world, whether they're religious or not, who would say, actually, I live my life by the golden rule. You might be one of them. You know, I wake up in the morning, I think to myself, I want a coffee. If I'm living by the golden rule, I might think to myself, well, if I want a coffee, maybe my wife Emma would like a coffee as well, so I'll I'll make one for her too. That's a nice thing to do. Or if I'm driving to work and I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of traffic. It really is nice when someone else sort of lets me cut in front of them. Maybe I should let someone else cut in front of me. That's a good thing to do. Or when I uh, turn up to a meeting and, you know, I'm stood up and they're late and maybe I like to think, oh, well, you know, I guess I like it when someone gives me the grace and a second chance. I'll, I'll give them some grace and a second chance too. Now, that's an excellent way to live. And society would be better if we all lived a little more like that. But the thing is, and what I want to try and help us to see today is that that's not really what the golden rule is all about. At least not it's an original context. 
You see, each of the examples I've just given you are about loving a family member, maybe a friend, or perhaps a random. Uh, in, in the original context, the challenge that Jesus is laying before his disciples today is not just to love their friends and their family or strangers, but more importantly, their enemies, the people who would go on to hate them, to curse them, and to mistreat them. That is a radically different kind of love. Now, I'm sure many of us still like the idea in theory. Again, you know, love for your enemies, gosh, couldn't our world do with a bit more of that sort of love? But liking the idea in theory and doing it in practice are two very different things. And yeah, that's the kind of golden love that Jesus says his followers are to demonstrate. And that includes you. If you're here today, I know not all of us are followers of Jesus. Uh, If you're not, welcome. Uh, But if you are, you should know that this is the kind of golden love that Jesus calls you to demonstrate. A love for your enemies. And so with that in mind, today what I want to try and do is explore with you the text that was just read out for us, that passage, under three headings. Uh, First of all, I want to try and unpack golden love, understand it. Second of all, I want to try and contrast it with worldly love, because that's what Jesus does. And then third, I want to try and give us some guardrails to help us make sure we apply it properly. So number one, explore golden love, contrast it with worldly love. Number two, and then third, just put up some guardrails to make sure that in the application, we get this right. So if you've got a Bible, as I always say, get it open in front of you. Uh, Good to have it there. Number one, what is golden love? Well, as we jump into today's passage, let's remind you of the, uh, the context. Jesus is midway through a sermon. Uh, Matthew's gospel calls it the Sermon on the Mount. Luke's gospel, which is this one, calls it the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, but it's the most famous sermon he's ever given. It's also a great sermon because it has three points. Uh, last week was point one. Remember uh, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, blessed are the weak. Today uh, is point two, Uh, but point one is particularly important just to understand the context because last week he said this, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the son of man. Uh, That's Jesus' way of describing himself. That last bit there is important. Because what it reminds us is that the immediate context of what we're about to hear in today's point two is religious persecution. Uh, Jesus is speaking to a group of people and he's saying, because of your association with me, people will exclude you. People will hate you. People will mistreat you. And so in today, if you like the point two section, he's helping them to say, How I want you, how are you supposed to respond to people who treat you like that? Now, that's not all he's doing. Um, That is, what we're going to see today, it's not like it only ever applies to the realm of religious persecution, but that is the primary context. I think that's helpful for us just to keep in mind, to remember later on when we're asking some questions, okay, where does this apply in other areas of life? Uh, Jesus is speaking to a bunch of people who are about to get targets on their back because they say they follow him. So he begins in verse 27 with four commands. Let's take a look at it together. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. He starts with love. Uh, Now, uh, if you've been around church for a little while, you might know uh, that there are several different kinds of words that Jesus could have used there to describe the word. uh, uh, Sorry, there's several different kinds of words for love in the Greek language. Uh, So there's storge, uh, which is natural affection. There's eros, which is erotic love. There's philia, which is love of friendship. And there's agape, which is the word that Jesus uses here. Love your enemies. Now, if you've been around church for a little while, you might know that sometimes people uh, try to suggest that whenever you see that word agape, this word, it's really referring to a a kind of a supernatural, a a spirit-inspired, divine kind of love. Uh, Now... That's a nice idea in theory. Uh, But unfortunately, it's not quite that uh, that simple. Because Jesus uses the exact same word to describe the love of the sinner down in verse 32. It's the same word, agape. We'll come to that later. All of which means that even if a sinner, and again, we'll come and describe that later. If even a sinner can show agape love, then Jesus is going to need to do more than Pick a certain kind of word to communicate to us. What kind of love is he really talking about? Which is why he goes on to say what he does. You see, the things that Jesus goes on to say really put flesh on the bones of what it means to love your enemies. Or to change the analogy, uh, what comes next? When you double click on love your enemies, what it expands to is doing good to the one who hates you. Blessing the one who curses you and praying for the one who mistreats you. Jesus' point is that love is not just a feeling. Uh, In fact, love is not even primarily a feeling. Love, like faith, is demonstrated through actions and caring for other people. Now, uh, he's going to go on and give us uh, four specific examples for the individual. What does it really look like in practice to do this? So we'll come to that in a second. But before we do... Let me maybe share an example of uh, where this struck me this week. Because I was, I was thinking to myself, who are my enemies? Who hates me? Who curses me? And you know, I, I couldn't really come up with the names of any individuals that fit into that category. Now, if you're sitting there and you're like, I fit into that. Feel free to come and confess that to me later. Uh, enemy, you'll give me an opportunity to put this into practice. Um, But then I read an article during the week, and it got me thinking. So there's a lady named Jane Caro. Uh, She wrote an article. You might have read it. She wrote an article uh, in a publication for the Rationalist Society of Australia on why God has no place in public schools, and in particular, why uh, Christian chaplains in public schools is a bad idea. And so I'll I'll bring up just a small section of the article says this, teaching ethics and comparative religion is a great idea in publicly funded schools. Proselytizing, which is just a way of talking about evangelizing, for any particular deity is not. Not to mention the active harm such proselytizing could do to children struggling with their gender, their sexual orientation, or with an unwanted pregnancy. 
Now, that quote is framed in a generic way in you know, all religions, but if you read the article, it's pretty clear that Christians, whom she calls arrogant, are the particular target in her sights. Now, I've never met Jane Carrow, but I did spend, uh, before I went to Bible college, two years of my life working in a public high school in Sydney teaching kids about Jesus. In other words, while the article is not specifically about me at all, she says that what I did was not only arrogant, it was also potentially harmful, potentially dangerous. Now, yeah, I'm not saying that Jane Carrow hates all Christians or even any Christians potentially. Also not saying that she's intentionally trying to curse or mistreat Christians. I'm sure she's a nice person if you went up and met her. But the article is fairly scathing. Furthermore, I read articles like that all the time. Actually, that one's really tame, to be honest. Uh, a number of the articles I read sort of make it sound like Christians are dangerous bigots who have to be removed from places of influence and not allowed to speak their messages of hate. And so the question, as I was reflecting, who hates me? The question I was reflecting on this week is, how should Jesus command to love, not just with feelings, but with actual actions, shape the way I respond to articles like these? Should I get angry at the author, as I'm so often tempted to do, and let the articles they write reinforce my own stereotypes and how I think about those people and those they represent? Or should I stop and pray for the author? God, would you bless this author and actually ask for opportunities to bless, to love, to care for those who read the article and are persuaded or perhaps already agree with the idea presented? Well, uh, hopefully it's clear I'm, I'm going for the second one. Uh, maybe you want to join me in it as well. But as I said, it, it's kind of all general. It's still up in the air a little bit. Um, you know, someone once said, uh, loving everybody in general is sometimes an excuse to love no one in particular. And so uh, Jesus probably knows that. And so he gets down into the nitty gritty and gives us four actually really specific examples of what it would look like uh, to love your enemies in this kind of way. So he keeps going. Verse 29 to 30, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Uh, in the ancient world, uh, the slap or to, to slap someone, usually done with the back of the hand and it sometimes functioned as a public symbol of rejection from the synagogue. Now, if that's what that's referring to, it's not clear that it is, but if it is, that would fit pretty clearly with our context of religious persecution we were talking about before. Jesus is saying, hey, followers, when they slap you and kick you out of the synagogue because of your association with me, give them the other cheek as well. Uh, he says the same thing about if someone takes your coat, uh, be willing to give them your shirt as well. Now, it's important to say in neither of these examples is the purpose of doing this, you know, presenting the cheek, to actively invite further aggression or exploitation. Um, nobody sets out with the goal of becoming a physical or financial punching bag. Uh, even if that ends up being the result for 
Jesus' followers, his disciples, and you know, the Apostle Paul in particular, is never the goal. As we'll see later, the goal of responding like this is to imitate God. Uh, after all, God loves his enemies and is kind to the wicked, so much so that the aggressor is often brought to repentance. That's the goal of this kind of behavior. In fact, I do think you see uh, just a small example of the power of this kind of behavior, this, this practice, this kind of love in uh, the example of Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement in the United States. Uh, in Where Do We Go From Here, King wrote, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. The beauty of nonviolence is that in its own way and in its own time, it seeks to break the chain reaction of evil. That's the kind of golden love that Jesus is calling his followers to demonstrate. If his disciples defended themselves and their property, they were only going to perpetuate a cycle of violence. And so he says, if they slap you, give them the other cheek. If they take your coat, give them your shirt. Now, for many, that's going to be a costly obedience. Both in the church and in the civil rights movement, it costs some their lives. But as we'll see a little later, uh, that is the kind of golden love which in its own time and in, in its own way, God would use to break the chain reaction of evil and lift this world from the curse of death altogether. And we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, Jesus gives us two more examples. Give to everyone who asks you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. I won't major on these, partly for the sake of time. But just notice, you can't show golden love if you, uh, unless you sit loosely to your material possessions. Remember last week, you know, the blessings and woes? Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, but woe to you who are rich, for you're already comforted. If you want to be comforted now, you will not be able to show this a radical golden love. But if your heart is fixed on heaven, if your treasure is in heaven, then you may actually be able to fulfill what Jesus is calling us to. So there's a portrait, just very briefly, a, a little portrait of golden love, the kind that Jesus is calling his followers to. It's not just about making coffee for your spouse, though you should make coffee for your spouse if you have one. Or letting someone cut in in front of you in the traffic. It's about loving your enemies, refusing to defend yourself, even if it means opening yourself up to mistreatment and exploitation. That's the call. Golden love. Let's think about contrasting golden love with the world's love. Because I suspect like many of us right now, I suspect you're thinking this, there would have been people uh, listening to the Sermon on the Plain, listening to Jesus preaching, and they're thinking, yeah, but what about... But sure, surely you can't mean... Is that what you're thinking? Uh, yeah, but. We love doing that, don't we? 
Uh, when we hear a hard teaching from Jesus, we jump to the extreme outlying example and say, yeah, but surely you can't mean that this applies to that. Surely, surely it doesn't actually mean. Um, it's a nice little trick we play. Uh, makes sure that we're still in the driver's seat and uh, we don't actually have to listen to Jesus and let him be the Lord of our lives. Uh, so before we jump to and consider an extreme example, which I do want to do at the end, let's just keep listening to Jesus. Let's let him push us beyond where we feel comfortable as he contrasts what he's calling us to with a worldly kind of love. Uh, verse 32 to 34. says, so if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. Makes the same point three different ways. There's nothing supernatural. There's nothing extraordinary about loving people who love you. Even the sinners do that. Now, if you're like, what does he mean by sinners? Matthew's gospel, uh, when he's saying a similar thing, uses the language of even the tax collectors do that. And in another place, even the pagans do that. And so he's not using sinners in a technical sense, right? We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, It's a shorthand. It's an ancient equivalent of saying, yeah, even the mafia do that. Uh, Even street gangs have their own moral code that they stick to. There's nothing particularly remarkable or special about that. Everyone does it. And so the question he's asking, what makes you think that God is going to reward such ordinary, commonplace kind of behavior? When you make your spouse a coffee, when you let someone in in front of you, when you give someone a check, second chance. Now, sure, it's, a good, it's better than not doing that. But that's not golden love. That's common courtesy. Grace, do we got to, I think we've got to sit on that for just a moment. If our standards of love and our tolerance for criticism and mistreatment is no greater than the world's, then I think we're missing something. Because Jesus goes out of his way to say, golden love, the the, the thing I'm calling you to is radically different to what the world knows. And so he presses it, verse 35. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. It's not worldly love that God rewards, but golden love. Now, uh, if you've been around Protestant churches for any length of time, you'll, you'll know that whenever we see the word reward in the Bible, we all get nervous. Because we're like, oh, is he talking about some kind of workspace righteousness where we're saved because of our good deeds? Is, is that what he's... I think it misses the point. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He is speaking to a group of people who've already given up everything to follow him. Remember last week? A blessed are the poor for yours is the kingdom of God. 
but not if you do this, you, it will, it's yours. He's not telling them how to enter the kingdom. The kingdom's already theirs. Instead, the reward is the pleasure of their father. It's the joy of a father looking down and saying, that's my boy. That's my girl. Because when they love like that, they love like me. You know, just think about it. Kids take after their parents. Uh, you will know, or many of you will know, we've got two kids. Brooke uh, is four years old, four and a half. She can't properly swim yet. Uh, but one of her favorite things to do when I'm on, uh, when Emma's doing something else and I've got the two, um, is rain, hail or shine to put on the wetsuit and go surfing with me down at Maroubra, South Maroubra Beach. Now, I use surfing very generously there, okay? But uh, when she says to me, Daddy, can we go surfing? I smile because I think to myself, you got that from me. (laughs) Uh, When God looks down and he sees a follower of Jesus showing golden love, loving their enemies, praying for those who mistreat them, blessing those who curse them. He smiles. Why? Because he thinks they got that from me. They got that from me. Jesus says God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Grace City, God is a God of golden love. And so when we also show golden love, we show ourselves to be his children. Golden love. Contrast it with the world's love. Uh, I want to try and finish together by putting up some guardrails to help us as we think through, okay, what would it look like to live this out? Just to, to help us in the faithful application of a text like this. I say that because sermons, I know this as a preacher, sermons are blunt instruments. Right, Every week or well, whenever I'm preaching, I, I'm thinking during the week, now, I can't say everything. I, I can say some stuff, but I can't say other things. Uh, I'm thinking to myself, you know, someone's going to hear it this way. Another person's going to hear it that way. I'm thinking what I say will apply slightly differently to that person as it applies to that person. Now, that's not a problem. It's just the nature of one-to-many communication. It, it, it's, it's a blunt instrument. Jesus' sermons are no different. He couldn't say everything. And what he says will sometimes apply slightly differently to one scenario as it does to another. And so for all those reasons, what I want to try here and do is uh, leave the sermon that he's given, uh, point two of his sermon, and just uh, put up some guardrails in light of what we know from the rest of Scripture to just uh, help in the faithful application and make sure that we don't misapply what he's saying here. Uh, so let me start with three guardrails, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go to the extreme example. Uh, guardrail number one is to point out that what Jesus is commanding here is an ethic of individual, at least this, individual non-retaliation, not a rejection of public justice or the vocations necessary to execute them. Now, if that's a mouthful, just let me explain. Romans 13. Uh, In Romans 13, the Apostle Paul says that one of the reasons that God has instituted governments is to encourage good order and to punish those who do wrong. 
And so take a judge, for example. When a judge is acting as a judge, they're not supposed to turn the other cheek. They're not supposed to let someone take your tunic as well, your shirt, as well as your coat. If they do that, they're a bad and wicked judge and God will hold them to account. Now, when they take the wig off and they go home, it's a different story. Then they have to turn the other cheek because they're just an ordinary citizen like you and me. But the point is this. Even though Jesus forbids Christians from taking vengeance into our own hands, the Bible also does affirm the importance of rulers and actually describes them as God's appointed means on earth for executing justice. And therefore, when someone is a danger to others, as in the case of, an, of a child abuser or other violent people, love of our neighbor actually demands that we report that person, that we involve the system Actually, it's regularly the case that the good and godly thing to do is uh, to report someone to the police. It's the first guardrail. Guardrail number two is to point out that Jesus' ethic of golden love only makes sense because of the certainty of divine justice. It only makes sense because of the certainty of, the, of divine justice. And so... Uh, when the Christian refuses to retaliate, when they turn the other, other cheek in the face of an aggressor, they're not telling the aggressor what you're doing is okay. They're not giving them a free pass. They're not saying you can do this and always get away with it. Actually, on the contrary, by turning the other cheek, they are demonstrating their rock-solid faith that God is good, that he is the good and righteous judge, and that whether they get justice on this earth or not, God will give it to them in the next Turning the, only ch the other cheek only, only makes sense in a world where divine justice is guaranteed. Third guardrail. Third guardrail is to point out that there is strong biblical precedent for leaving and even fleeing from hostile and violent situations. In other words, while turn the other cheek does mean you can't retaliate. It doesn't mean you have to stay and allow yourself to become a physical or metaphorical punching bag. Again, there's biblical precedent for this. Let me give you two. Number one, Jesus. Uh, if you were here in the first week of the series, we're in Luke chapter 4. You might remember Jesus gives his sermon at his hometown in Nazareth, and after he gives the sermon, people are upset with him and they want to throw him off a cliff. What does he do? Does he say, well, you guys grab my feet and you grab my arms, one, two, three? No. He slips through the crowd and goes on his way. He flees the persecution. He, he avoids it. He doesn't stay there and embrace it. Think about the Apostle Paul. You might know in Acts chapter 9, he's in Damascus and uh, word gets out and uh, they're, trying to they're, they're trying to get him. And so his disciples actually lower him in a basket through a hole in a wall so that he can get away from the persecution. Now, we have to balance what I've just said with the fact that both the Apostle Paul and Jesus will later choose to stay and turn the other cheek and endure the persecution, even to the point of death. But 
I think it at least helps us see that the whole turn the other cheek thing is not a one-size-fits-all circumstances kind of rule. If even Jesus fled persecution, uh, it must be the case that it's not wrong to flee or separate yourself from violent or mistreatment. Now, yeah, there may be times where the Holy Spirit prompts someone to stay and turn the other cheek. As Jesus and the Apostle Paul did, but it's not wrong to separate yourself from a violent situation and we should never discourage someone from doing so. So, with those guardrails up and with my life in my hands, let me tackle the extreme example of domestic abuse. After all, I suspect I'm not the only one who was thinking, yeah, but what about? What about domestic abuse? I suspect you, like me, were thinking to yourself, yeah, but surely Jesus, what is, he, he, that can't apply to the domestic abuse situation, can it? Now, if you're thinking that, it's a good instinct. It's a good instinct. Uh, domestic abuse, like all abuse, is evil and totally unacceptable. And our heart's desire should be to care for and to protect the victims of it. Now, just so we're clear about what we're talking about, abuse includes, but is not limited to, emotional, verbal, social, economic, psychological, spiritual, physical, and sexual abuse. But what can we say about it? Does turn the other cheek apply? Yes, no, what? Well, let me begin by saying, if you are violent or abusive in any way, you need to stop it. Uh, whether you are a Christian or not, what you're doing is evil and wicked. If you can't control yourself, tell someone. Repent to your victims, separate yourself from them if necessary, and get help. Uh, feel free to come and talk to me. I'd be happy to speak to you. If you would prefer to remain anonymous, at least for now, I want you to head to this website. Uh, it's no to violence, www.ntv, no to violence.org.au. Uh, that is particularly for male perpetrators of abuse, though I know it's not always men, but it often is, and more commonly it is. Uh, and it has an, uh, a number of helpful resources that you can call, uh, that you can use and call uh, to get help and counselling. What about the victim? Well, let me begin by reinforcing what I said earlier. Sermons are blunt instruments. There is no one-size-fits-all application of this text. I'm also aware that for some of us, this is an abstract theological question. For others as us, this is a personal and deeply painful question. In fact, if you're in that situation, you know you're in a domestic abuse situation, or maybe you think you might be, can I say, I'm so sorry? I have no idea what that is like. It shouldn't be the way it is. I can't imagine what it's like to live with the fear, the pain, the anxiety, you know, the concern for your children if you have some. If that's you, can I encourage you, seek out godly counsel. You need more support and help than 
a simple sermon can give you. Again, if, if you want to come and speak to me or another member of our staff team, they, they would love to speak to you. If you would prefer to speak to a woman, uh, Shell, can I just get you to put your hand up? Uh, Shell Varko over here, she's married to Matt on staff. She's a counsellor. We spoke yesterday. She'll be very happy to chat with you. If you prefer to remain anonymous, uh, go to this website, 1800respect.org.au. Uh, Again, just uh, helpful next steps for you. We love you. And we want to do whatever we can to support you and care for you on this journey. But for the rest of us, uh, what should you do if someone comes and discloses something like this to you? Well, uh, given where we are with time, um, what I'm going to do... Sermons are blunt instruments, right? I can't get into the deep. But what I'm going to do is refer you to a paper that the Anglican Diocese of Sydney has put together. It's called Responding to Domestic Abuse. Uh, I will post a PDF of this on our internal Facebook group. If you're not a member of that, I'll do it tonight after the 6pm service. But if you're not a member of that or you want to look at it sooner, uh, Google Responding to Domestic Abuse, Anglican Policy and Good Practice. Responding to Domestic Abuse, Anglican Policy and Good Practice. If you Google that, you'll be able to find it. Uh, on that policy, you'll find a number of helpful things, including 10 theological statements about domestic abuse, a flowchart on what to do if someone comes and discloses that to you, again, as well as just some helpful numbers and websites to chase down. I think that document is profoundly helpful for several reasons. One, it categorically condemns any form of domestic abuse. It makes it clear that it is entirely appropriate for someone to separate themselves from a violent situation and often necessary when children are involved. And yet it also leaves room for the person who chooses to stay and turn the other cheek while giving guidance to the church family on how to love, support and care for them as they walk that journey. So can I encourage you, go home, read it. Uh, either read it tonight. I, I, I think we as a church, our church, but the church more broadly, need to uh, get better aware on some of these things. It's more prevalent than we care to admit. Uh, we need to educate ourselves on these things and I think this will be a really helpful next step for us as a church. Uh, it's not in this week's Bible study community group, but maybe if you want to read it this week, it might prove to be a fruitful conversation for your group during the week if you have a read of that as well. Let me close. As I close, uh, let's step back. Remember, what, what have we talked about? Jesus wants his followers to show golden love. A love that is so unnatural that it far exceeds anything that the world is used to. A love that doesn't just love those who love us, but a divine love that so desires to embrace the enemy as a friend that it will risk exploitation and harm if that is what is required to bring them close. Jesus says when you show that kind of love, you show yourself to be a child, actually literally a son of God. That's a massive call. 
I suspect some of us are sitting here, perhaps all of us are sitting here thinking, I, I can't do that. I struggle to love my friends, let alone my enemies. And in some ways, you're probably right. You actually won't be able to love like this. Uh, but the good news is there's one who has. There is one who so loved his enemies that he did good to those who hated him. That he blessed those who cursed him. That he prayed for those who nailed him to a cross. There is one who, when he was struck, he turned the other cheek. Who, when they took his coat, did not demand it back. Instead, in the supreme act of golden love, Jesus cried, offered up his life, dying in our place for our sins, turning enemies into friends and making it possible for people like you and I to become children of God. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I can't, I, this is too great for me. You're right, it is. Um, on your own, this is too great for you. But if you belong to Jesus, you're a child of God. And so stay close to Jesus. Get to know the way of your Father. And in time, and with the strength of His Spirit, He will increasingly enable you to show this kind of golden love. And if you're sitting there and you're not a believer, why not trust in Christ today? Become a child of God. God in Christ has shown you golden love. Because of your sin, you are an enemy of God, but he wants to adopt you into his family. He's made the first step. He stopped the cycle of violence and the chain reaction of evil. What you need to do is repent of sin, turn back to him in faith, and trust in Christ. That would be a great thing for you to do today. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, this is a hard teaching. This is a teaching that is beyond us. And it will land differently depending on our circumstances. We pray that you would be a God who is close and comforts the vulnerable, the hurting, and the broken. Help us to be a church that cares for the vulnerable, the hurting, and the broken. And Lord, by your Spirit, would you enable us to increasingly be able to show this kind of golden love to a world that looks on and doesn't understand? Lord, we long to be faithful to you. We thank you that in your golden love of us, we have become children of yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.